Hey guys, welcome back to another episode of Constant Agitation, our weekly podcast. If you just um, listened to the jingle and you thought it sounded really bad, it's because it is. <laughs> and if you can do better, please send us something, con- get in contact with us and give us a better one. <laughs> uh, we'll be really happy to uh, use your music. Um as always, I'm joined by Eva Garmendia. Hi, guys. How are you doing today? Um, I'm fine. It's a mighty Friday. Um, I'm a little bit, uh, you know, we had a, a hectic week trying to figure out um, how to make the best of our photos from the trip, right? It's true. We've been uh, trying out different scanning methods. Yes. And um, thinking about scanning methods, too. <laughs> right. We we were trying to figure out what's the best way. Currently, we've been scanning with a DSLR. That's yeah. used to be our thing, mm-hmm. which works okay for most cases. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you're scanning um, six by nine, especially, mm-hmm. it works really good. But when it comes to six by six and six by seven, you're losing a lot of the sensor because of the different aspect ratio. Uh. So you're losing quite a lot of resolution when you're doing it that mm-hmm. way. So, in that way, you were saying that a flatbed scanner might be better. Is better. Yeah. So we were. So uh, here's the situation that we have right now. Like Jimmy, for a long time, has been using the DSLR method. I bought a scanner very long time ago, a flatbed scanner, an Epson V500, and uh, I used it back in the days to scan my 35 millimeter film, some 120 film, not so much. And then I started away when I stopped using um, analog cameras. And then we met, you are doing that. And then I was like, oh, maybe we can try my scanner and see how it does, basically. And we went ahead with some of the negatives we have from the trip that we have uh, developed. It looked very nice. So um, the first thing we encountered is that the scanner is kind of malfunctioning in a way. There is like a line in the middle. It's like, okay, this basically renders the, the scanner non-usable for 120 for 120 at least yeah because 35 is like very in the edge uh but then we realized the 35 scans weren't that good no they're not and even when we looked at some of the um, higher end flatbeds uh the volume apparently is a little bit low for both of us uh is it all right sorry about that we will raise the volume for both of the volumes be torn up a bit they say all right sure uh, I think I fixed it now. Let me know if it works. And also let us know if there's any um, sync issues that are really, really exactly. bad. Uh, if they're a little bit out of sync, forgive us. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so what was I saying? Um, yeah, so about the the negatives. And then when I realized that, yeah, maybe we can use the flatbed for the 35s, the scans is weren't that nice. I was a very frustrated. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You were saying we we you looked into um, the the recommendation for best practice best practices. Yeah, so I, I went nerd nerd road, which is like okay, I'm gonna read about this. What are the best practices when it comes to um, to get it to get negatives digitalized in a way? And of course. I mean, you guys listening to us, you probably know the best scanners that you can get are from drum scanners or like wet mount. It would be really good. But I wanted to know, okay, for everyday 
basis, someone at their home, what is the best thing they can do? And I found a page that was very comprehensive, looking into what should be the minimum amount of pixels recorded, the minimum amount of uh, digital file size for 35, 120, of course, 4 by 5 8 by 10 And the overall mm, thing that I got from all that is that almost none of the flatbed scanners give you proper resolution to uh, to get to the best practices when it comes to digitalizing 35 millimeter yeah. film. So not even or ba barely minimum in the lower edge, the V850 Epson, for example, which is, you know, the higher end uh, flatbed scanner you can get. And I was like, okay. So then we were looking a little bit like to maybe get a dedicated 35 millimeter scanner, mm -hmm. right? That apparently yeah. they give you much more resolution when it comes to 35. Mm -hmm. But then I was thinking, yeah, but in that situation, then you have to have something for you 35. Have to have scanners, basically. Especially like in a case like ours that we're shooting both things. Of course, if you just shoot 35, you know, that's your answer. Yeah, definitely. Uh, surprisingly, actually, the small scanners, mm -hmm. like the Pulse Tech and stuff like that, I think. Pl Plastic, yeah. Plastic. Mm -hmm. um, they perform surprisingly well when it comes to 35 millimeter film. Yeah. When it comes to 120 film, you can't, you can't load it. I think there are some variations. Maybe. I think like Reflecta maybe has one. There, Then I think you also jump back up in the price. And I don't know how good they perform. I think you might resolve more on a flatbed yeah. uh, with a 120 film. Another thing that Although I got... Although I, um, I want to say that if you're into shooting larger formats, mm -hmm. which we plan to go into in the future... Mm -hmm then you go back to being only like limited basically and and you have limited budget that's here is trying to get as affordable as possible of course if you have a limited budget go get all your film drums can yeah <laughs> because that's that's what kind of like that's one of the things that kind of drove you crazy uh, while looking into this the prices <laughs> of the uh, of the drums gun yes i was I was very surprised of how expensive it is to get uh, a lab to get your film drum scan very expensive yeah and uh we were wondering why I'm, i mean i'm assuming that we know that the the machinery is expensive and it's, you also have other materials involved as far as i understand it i think you you need to use the uh, the uh, transparent um, material mm -hmm. i think it's called ac acetate, acetate. yeah uh. and then you uh, have to use the mounting fluid and all this kind of stuff and it takes a long time, so it's labor hour. Mm -hmm. And the machines are incredibly expensive, of I course. assume, as well. So yeah. you need to make your money back. But, um, and I, I'm, I'm guessing also it's a very like niche kind of uh, thing. Yeah, I assume that the people that get their scan, they, their film, drum scan, are very specific frames that are for very specific purposes, like printing very big for a specific exhibitions. Uh, artists that make their life with it, that sort of thing. But So, what I had an idea for is that um, we don't know much. I realized that we don't know much about this. Mm -hmm. And uh, if you're watching and you know somebody or you are somebody who operates a drum scanner, we would like to hear from you. Uh, let us know. Contact us somewhere or another. Drop us a message or a comment and we'll get in touch with you. And maybe we'll have you on the show and you can tell us more about the world of drum scanning yeah but let's take it back to stuff that you can actually do <laughs> yes. and that is 
<laughs> I think the best way to get good scans, um, how do you say it? Like good and quick scans for all of your shots because you want to at least look at all your negatives. In principle, that's the first step, right? Yeah. Get something that is good enough to then see what photos have better potential. Right. So what what do you think is uh, what do you think is the way to go about it? Uh, you will sh- you will say your opinion and yeah. then I will say my <laughs> opinion. How about that? What is the best way to get that? I mean, how would you do it? If I if I have enough money, I mean, I think the higher end flatbed scanners are very good to do contact sheets. Mm-hmm. For example, mm-hmm. like so, if you have the possibility to get a flatbed scanner and then make contact sheets, do some preliminary edit that is general for your role, and then you can check the photos well in a somewhat higher resolution, not super super high, but you are gonna be able to zoom in a bit and then see the photos. Mm-hmm. Um, that's one way to to get an overview of your of your shots and your roles, mm-hmm. I guess. Uh, of course, the way that we're doing it now, we put it on top of the light table and we go with the phone with the with the plugin that inverts it, and then we check, see what it is, and like, okay, this one seems like in focus is a nice. Then let's let's uh, photograph it and let's scan it. But I guess a flatbed scanner to do contact sheets would be really nice. I agree. Um, I think uh, yeah, I think that's a good way to go about it. But then you have to mix and match basically with combination of equipment. Yeah. I think if you want to go the scanner route, I would say you need some, if you're shooting a lot of 35 millimeter and one and 120 film, I think the best combination is if, again, if you want to go the, f- the flat, the scanner route, which you can then utilize uh, something like Silverfast, which from what I've seen is the only reason I would like to use a flatbed scanner because it seems that that application gives you such good results. That's what I've seen around right? too. I don't have any particular experience with it. I've been watching a lot of videos, looking yeah. a, a lot of reviews, <laughs> pictures, examples, all that kind of thing. And it looks really good. Um, however, so if, if you want to go that route, I think your best bet is, is probably to get something like a dedicated scanner that takes both. But these are expensive, like the Nikon Coolscan oh, series. Yeah. Right? yeah, that's the thing. But like they're really expensive. But if you have the money for it, I think that's your best bet. Yeah, definitely. If you want to go something less uh, expensive, I will say go with something like a uh, an Epson scanner. And uh, even if you go all the way up to the V800, your 35 will suffer. So if you don't shoot a lot of 35, the Epson v600 and up basically they will do they will do a Mm -hmm. good job the 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 advantage of the 700 800 850 is that you will you'll be able to do large formats as well and you will be able to do the contact sheets with the whole sheets as well because you have a bigger uh, area of uh, transparency exactly but this is this is i think is an added bonus yeah of course uh actually like working scans you'll get the 120 Mm -hmm. and the large formats yes uh, from there if you do want to add a scanner for the uh, 35 right. millimeter mm-hmm. then you need a dedicated uh, scanner they are sold new for about 300 dollars to 500 depending on which yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. so you can basically if you only shoot 120 and 35 millimeter you can go with the v600 
and a plus tech or mm -hmm. something of the sort. And then you'll be covered getting really good scans for both the mediums that mm -hmm. you're shooting. However, if you're looking for a camera to use as a scanner, yeah. a digital camera to use as yeah. a scanner, we found something really interesting. Yes, right? <laughs> we did. It was kind of like the light in the end of the tunnel of the week, being so frustrated, like seeing that we can have really nice photos and we are not able to get them into the digital form and then getting this new solution or possi possible new way of doing it. It was very refreshing. All right. So let me let me take you through what my journey, right? <laughs> I used to scan with a D7000 because it was uh, the only DSLR that I had except for uh, the one is that is filming Eva right now. And it, it's a Olympus EM10, which is a 16 megapixel smaller sensor. So I thought the sensor in the D7000 is probably better. Mm -hmm. Started scanning with it, I was pretty happy, although the resolution after cropping, when I tried to make bigger prints, it was uh, a bit too small. Mm -hmm. uh, so I borrowed Eva's uh, Canon 6D Mark I. Uh, she has a, an old one she's not using. And I got bigger scans. However, the quality of the scans kind of suffered because of Canon. <laughs> and uh, people who know me well, they know how I feel about it. <laughs> Not going to get into it too much, but I think uh, something with the uh, dynamic range of the file, it just doesn't, I don't feel like it works as well. You don't like the rows that come out of that camera point. Yeah, so. I don't. And people said that, uh, that well, what are you talking about? The Nikon files uh, are more saturated when you get them out of the scanner. I think it really doesn't matter. I, I've seen what Lightroom does to the to the files that add saturation mm -hmm. as they're loading. But then when you put it back into Negative Lab Pro, it kind of strips that away. Negative Lab does something to the scan yeah. uh, before it starts analyzing it. Mm -hmm. So I think that effect is negated. And we've seen the results. Mm -hmm. They instantly out of the box looks look better than the, yeah. than the Canon. Uh, the other thing then here we went back to the same problem is that when i went back to the nikon i got more workable scans with less issues and stuff and also i have i can't stress this enough use a good light table <laughs> yes make sure your light table is not um weird in any way it's even it's doesn't have scratches yeah well i think you can get really um, hung up on the cri and all that kind of stuff you can always fix the white balance later as long as it's even across the mm -hmm. light table. So as long as the contrast is not weird, you're good to go. Then I had this crazy idea to use this one, this camera right there, the one that is filming me, and that's the EM1 uh, Mark II. Mark II. Mm -hmm. I was thinking to myself and I was like, oh, this camera has like a sensor shift feature. Super ultra high resolution mode yeah. it's called or something like high, that. High resolution mode, Yeah, I think it's called. Yeah. And they, I think they marketed, or at least in the camera, it says 50 megapixel. However, when we did the calculation, it turned out to be 80 megapixel. 80 megapixel, yeah. And even though it's a smaller sensor, yeah, it, it gave us a really good file. It was so good. Right? And it, we actually scanned a 35 millimeter one, just to make the comparison of, you know, the three flatbed, then the D7000, and then this one. So much sharper, so much better. Yeah. So here's here's what I found out. The M1 is not the most cheap camera out there, but its little sister, the M5 Mark II, also has, mm. has the same feature. Yeah. And these are about the same price as a Plustec scanner. Mm -hmm. They go around 
anywhere like you can find them in the used market for that, that range i'm pretty sure it's that i checked on the local mm-hmm. ebay and they were about 300 to 400 depending on the kit you get we used uh, a frankenstein lens i used my nikon uh, 2.8 90 millimeter actually tamron but it's made for nikon macro lens and then i adapted it with a aperture control ring uh, to canon because that's the adapter that i had because i was using yeah. the same lens on the canon body <laughs> and then i adapted that ring from an eos canon eos mount two olympus micro four thirds yes so it has two adapters on the back of it i was so skeptical is it going to even focus properly what it did it did there's <laughs> i mean you're just uh you yeah, know you're covering the yeah you're covering the flange distance so yeah, you're, yeah, you're yeah, good yeah. there and we got the best scans i would say best uh, yeah best photos of the negatives and best conversion i would say yeah um so that was really nice, and we're happy about what we got. Uh, the scans in their full size, they're 80 megapixels, which is crazy. Super big. Uh, so even if you crop when you're shooting uh, six by six, mm-hmm. you still have a lot of resolution to go yes. with. So yeah, I think I think we found a way that works for us. Yeah. And we can recommend looking into the EM5 if you're having issues. Uh, because you're not happy with the yeah, resolution or exactly. size or etc and of course then we also were looking into you know this uh, to complement that and make it even better mm-hmm. that you can buy these adapters to put your film through that it would really mask out each photo very nicely so you don't get any kind of uh, flares or anything from the light mm-hmm. table and then you use that uh, together with your dslr method yeah. and that should give you r- really good scans yeah, uh, we saw the, it's a, it's a bit expensive, but we saw the skier light box, sand, what is it called? Sandbox, I don't sandbox, remember. Sandbox, yeah. yeah. That one, that one is uh, pretty cool. Um, they sell it on Cine still, mm-hmm. uh, website. Uh, not sponsored. <laughs> uh, <laughs> goes without saying, I guess. Yeah. Uh, but uh, it's pretty cool. Uh, it's not the cheapest, but it's uh, it kind of solves a lot of problems, mm-hmm. and it's quite compact. Uh, so if you're working with a smaller tripod, like we do, you know, with not a lot of uh, flexibility on how to put the camera over the light table, yeah, it's a it's a good way. But you don't have, I mean, if you already have a light table, masking can be solved using I think some black foam, yes, and make a you just make your own template basically. Uh, I think you just have to be more finicky with the tripod or have some with a mm-hmm. top-down view or, um, or something like that. But uh, I think uh, I think that cov- covers what we discovered. The whole week, yeah. <laughs> right? Yeah. But, uh, you know, I'm happy. I'm hopeful. I'm really hopeful now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, yesterday before, like, last thing I did before I go to bed is I did that. Like, yeah. it was like 20 minutes before I go to bed. And looking at those scans, it was night and day the difference um not just the resolution but just the whole feel of the image the whole kind of texture almost yeah. it's, it looks much but better you resolve the grain better everything you mm. know like you are you are really so that's the thing film has the potential to give you so much information and so much detail mm. and it's such a shame that you are gonna lose that when you want to make the digital files out of your of, of your negatives so that was my frustration where it was coming from it's like i know we can have so much better photos than this like why is it not working but i'm hopeful now all right me too uh let's jump into the next uh, segment mm-hmm. 
Yes. We got some questions. Yes, we did. Uh, Thank you so much, everyone that, uh, you know, um, help us and it's uh, interactive with us and getting us some questions. Yeah. Any uh, Anything interesting happening in the sh- in the chat? Uh, do you, did you get any feedback before we jump um, into this? That the volume is uh, fine and people are dropping in and just saying hi. And cool. Cool. Usually we have uh, interesting, cool discussions in the live chat, and we really, uh, we really enjoy it ourselves yes. as well. We, 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 sometimes like if you run out of things to talk about, <laughs> 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 we we cheat off you guys <laughs> in the chat. Uh, all right, so we got uh, the first question was I'm gonna read it uh, from the comment itself. Mm-hmm. Uh, what do portraits mean to you? Question mark ego, freezing a moment of life, etc. Would you uh, and why would you take one? Uh, I'm gonna let you go ahead and start answering. Okay, okay, <laughs> oh, pressure. No, um, okay, so this actually feels quite close to me because I, at some point, as I explained in a previous episode, I decided that I did want to work with people and m- basically focus on making portraits, portraits of people either alone or in couples or families, etc. So for me, uh, portraits mean more exactly what he meant, the second part that he or she wrote, that is uh, freezing time. For me, taking portraits of people, I try to to really make it in a way that the photo would become a memory and a memory of a feeling, of an emotion, of an experience. And basically you are freezing the time with that portrait, with that photo. So when I work with um, with people, I really strive to make them really comfortable to try to get the real self out of out of them. Like you know, some people get a little bit uh, intimidated with the cameras in front and they forget to be themselves a little bit. So I always try to uh, be very communicative and make them forget that there is a camera in between so we can just have a, a conversation and then I can snap those pictures in between that will make them see themselves and will make them remember themselves in the moment the photos were taken, where else is in the city, taking a walk, or there's a couple that they are done, have done a trip to, to Stockholm and they want to get some memories in the city. So for me, portraits, um, they f- are more related to to that part of freezing time, and I do focus on, on making my portraits um, serve that purpose, in a sense, yeah. I see, uh, but um, how do you feel about like portraits in general? Like there are different type, di- different types. I, yeah. Right? Um, how do I feel about so? You it, know, it's like my. Let me let me rephrase the question. Make it better. Um, or maybe I'm just. In, I don't know. I th- I feel like I'm in kind of. Um, how do you say, um, projecting my feelings onto you, <laughs> waiting to get something. Um, but uh, f- for me, it really, like that question really, I really liked it because it um, it mentioned ego. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, th- this is where I struggle with, the, with taking portraits of people. Um, I, I mentioned, I think in our first episode that if you have anything to say <laughs> in the process of taking the portrait, mm-hmm. I'm not interested in taking it. Mm-hmm. And I think I didn't realize it at the time, but I think it's it's related to this part, to the ego part, to kind of like 
you have a specific vision of yourself and you're asking me to help you put it out achieve that one yeah and um, i'm not saying any there's anything wrong with that mm-hmm. i just don't know how to do it mm-hmm. it's just not something i'm interested in as photography yeah right mm-hmm. because there's always i feel like there might be something uh like the deception or something that is not necessarily true we all have this um kind of uh, let's say uh, di- distorted vision of ourselves. like mm-hmm. for example now we are hearing ourselves through these headphones and it's always like i mean it takes its time uh you remember the first time you did it a <laughs> yeah. long time ago probably yeah um it felt, it's like this is how i sound like yeah it's it's weird you get used to it but it's not right and the l- same thing comes like happens when you when you, somebody takes a photo of you it's like is this is how i look like yeah we're not used to seeing and hearing and experiencing ourselves outside of ourselves yeah and sometimes that can be tricky to convince people and especially nowadays with like this generation growing with all of these snapchat filters and instagram filters and all that kind of stuff people are so a lot of people they open their camera d- directly default they go into a into a filter mm-hmm. and they they get, get used to it more yeah. like that uh, and you know it's a thing mm-hmm. uh, i'm not faulting anybody for it it's just not something that i like to partake in mm-hmm. specifically like you know personally and also um, a lot of the fashion uh, commercial mm-hmm. stuff um Often there is retouching and stuff like that. And that's a specific thing. Um, it's not about the person anymore. Yeah. It's about a branding. It's about making a, a conceptual image of some sort. And the person looking a specific way in that conceptual image for the purpose of marketing a product yeah. is a part of the whole process. Yeah. And um, so to me that is not necessarily a portrait mm-hmm. you know what i mean um i think it it always depends on who you're taking a portrait of mm-hmm. and th- there's something uh, about old people for example mm-hmm. uh, when you take a portrait of them it's like there is it's like uh, an old person when they when, you know if you remember uh, your grandpa your grandma all the old people in your family, they're always, most of the time, when they're not doing anything active, let's say, they're just chilling, watching life unfold in front of them, watching their grandkids and their kids and everything. And they're just sitting there, you know, like enjoying life or having some kind of an emotion. So they're very, they're more expressive in their face and their body language kind of, that rather than being outspoken. Mm-hmm. In, in most scenarios, I would say. Mm-hmm. So that's why a portrait of an old person kind of feels a lot more than a portrait of a child or anything. Like, you know, they, they don't, children, they don't even know how to use their face yet. Like <laughs> little kids, like babies, babies. Uh, and then that carries on. Like when you take in a, a photo of a, a, you know, a grandiose personality, you know, is that a word? I don't <laughs> know. Like a larger than life personality. Like uh-huh. think of somebody who achieved a lot of things yeah. or been through a lot of th- mm-hmm. experiences in their life, the the ego or the power of that personality comes through the photo without having to do anything. Yeah. You know, like imagine a great, I don't know, um, 
Do you have any examples? I don't know. Um, I keep thinking of Nelson Mandela for Gandhi. some reason. Gandhi. You know, you don't need to do anything. You just take a photo of that face and you know who that person is and it makes it very powerful. But is it because it's such a well-known person? Like it's such a relatable face to everybody? Or is it because the face itself carries on so much history? I think it's a mix of both. Yeah. I do think it's a mix of both. Um that's why I that's why I started with the with old people in general, mm-hmm. uh, because the, you don't have to know them. When you see a portrait of an old person, you you, you see s- the life yeah. lived through it, yeah. But also when you see portraits of uh, these, uh, you know, like the kind of portraits that uh, I can't remember his name now. Uh, what was <laughs> the, uh, the name of the photographer who was very famous for shooting Kodachrome, uh, or not very famous for shooting Kodachrome, but famously shot for Kodachrome. Steve McCurry. Steve McCurry, thank you so much. Uh, that's a weird way of describing Steve McCurry, but I knew that she will immediately know who I'm talking about. <laughs> so, yeah. um, like he, but he shot the last role of Kodachrome. So, yep. Uh, so h- here's the question, uh, not the question. The point that I was trying to draw is that these, the photos that he took, the kind of photos that he took, even though they were not necessarily always of old people, but he was able to capture these portraits of unknown people mm-hmm. but that were captivating yeah and you know they, there was something if you if you're to categorize these unknown people how would you do it categorization on terms of like like the, the, what's the in common thing well the uh, his portraits are powerful to me also because there are sites that I'm not used to it, for example. Mm-hmm. So he, he portrayed and he, he made a lot of work in India, for example. But also, as you say, it's like when I look at those photos, it's like people that have lived through things that I have not lived through. Mm-hmm. And, and that comes across in their portrait as exactly. well. Yeah. There is more to it than just an ego of a person. Mm-hmm. It's more about a life of a person. Yeah. rather than an ego uh, yeah. and it's it's more to who they are or a part of their life that you can capture in one photo mm-hmm. so i like to take portraits of people um most of the time when they're not aware of me taking a picture of them like on a tri- trip for example i took a bunch of photos of you <laughs> being in your own element yeah but that's really um capturing something of who you are yes uh, and these, I think, were your favorite photos. Yeah, I really, really uh, like You them. didn't like any of the photos where you were aware of me taking the <laughs> shot of you, right? <laughs> because it's 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 kind of void of meaning. Yeah. That like for me, that the meaning of that kind of portrait is that this is that person, and they're now posing for the camera. Yeah. What does that say about him? It says that they're a person, and, and they in were in front of, the front of a camera. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean. Um, I think that's why like a uh, general good advice for beginners is like when you talk to more professional photographers and they're like and you're asking them what are your tips on taking portraits they're like always get your model engaged mm-hmm. give them something to interact with why because that way you get some you get the person out when it's doing something when it's thinking about something even be sometimes i my cues are just like try to think um Think, think about what was the last trip you took and why did you enjoy being in that city, you know, and th- them just the process of remembering something that made them happy, thinking about something, it, 
it, it, it brings into the picture, which is why I like taking portraits of people in that, in that regard. Um, Tim here is commenting, he says, I feel like it's easier to make good portraits because our brains are so programmed to recognize faces that seeing a photo of a face is biologically more joyful than seeing, for example, a building. Would you agree? Uh, yes, definitely. Portraits, by definition, are more kind of... Uh, attractive? Ca captivating or mm -hmm. attractive because somebody's basically looking at you. It's like, you know, when you're outside in the wilderness and you see two lights like next to each other it could be a faraway building yeah. or it could be a cat you think it's your uh, mind eyes. immediately jumps into thinking it's a cat yeah you know because there's eyes there's yeah. the pattern of eyes and then like, oh it's just two lights and sometimes they could be far away from each other but one is bigger than the other and they're like this yeah. but they're just the right distance from each other yeah and you're like somebody's looking at me you know i mean we do have the tendency to anthropomorphize everything yeah. basically and there's like very very creative use of photography in that sense which is taking photos of things that might look like faces but they're not faces mm -hmm. there was an account i remember back when tumblr was a thing yeah. that uh, it was just that it was like a, a guy that he takes photos of things that happen to look like faces yeah. and it's very interesting because it is true like we are very programmed to see faces when there are no faces at all yeah i i am guilty of participating in that trend uh my old instagram account it's um, if you I mean I think I might have deleted some of those photos I was trying to clean it up and be a <laughs> photographer but there, like I would say like 20 photos in the beginning were just like photos like that mm -hmm. and the hashtag uh, I see faces in different places or it was the yeah, yeah, that's good. I mean it's, it's <laughs> totally like that so I think it relates to what uh, Tim Tim is saying that we our brains are just programmed to see faces yeah uh, yeah but um, I think that. Do you have anything else to add on? No, that was uh, I. I I put my thoughts out. I do think that portraits can be very powerful to, to know first time, especially maybe not like portraits as headshots that we think, but more like an interactive portrait, portrait of two people interacting, or even to the camera as well. But, and then they can see that photo and think about how they felt back in time. That that's for me beautiful. I agree. I agree. I agree on this, on the idea that a portrait should mean more than look how I look good in this photo. <laughs> yes. It it can be that. But right? that for me, that's that the, the purpose of that is then, yeah, it's either a fashion show or it's, it's not really a portrait. Yeah. Yeah, it's a different kind of, let's go, it's a different, different kind, kind of photography. Yeah. <laughs> um, I think... Uh, we can jump into the other question, which is going to relate us to the photographers of the day. Today we have two. Mm -hmm. uh, we got a question asking for your thoughts on the work of John Nahar. I don't know if I'm Nahar. Nahar. N-A-N-A-A-R. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry for butchering the name. Um, photography. And uh, thoughts about Fred Herzog's uh, work. Um I can't say I was familiar with John Nahr before this question. Mm -hmm. uh, I've seen some of Herzog's work and I'm a fan. Let's say that for now. Uh, so what I think we'll do is we can jump into uh, the galleries. Mm -hmm. We can take a look at them briefly and take our thoughts on, on their photography. And All right. 
so here we have uh, found this gallery of uh, Fred Herzog um, and uh, he shot uh, exclusively Kodachrome film <laughs> alright so let me read this uh, it's a short about photo uh, paragraph Fred Herzog was, a, uh, was born in Germany in 1930 and immigrated to Vancouver BC in 1953. Throughout his career, he worked almost ex exclusively with uh, Kodachrome slide film, and only in the past decade did technology allow him to make archival pigment prints that matched the exceptional color and intensity of Kodachrome slide. Herzog's use of color was unusual in the 1950s and 60s, a time when art photography was almost exclusively associated with black and white, uh, black and white imagery um, imagery. In this respect, his photographs can be seen as a prefiguration of the new color photographers of the 1970. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's apparent when you start looking at these photos. These are the kind of compositions, um, something like this, for example, are the kind of compositions that you would see from the classic uh, black and white yes. photographers that we're we know and uh, we really like yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but including the color in but it. in color yeah. and it's really really nice to see because there is that connection to the past because you know they look it's 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 kind of um you look at these photos and you're like you have no idea when they were taken <laughs> these are these are i i was you know we were talking about doing a segment this episode where I, I was supposed to like give you a quiz and yes. uh, show you random <laughs> pictures to see if you can guess if it's new or old. If I <laughs> I wish I thought of Herzog. Uh, we dropped that idea because I didn't have time to do it. I was freaking out. We were both freaking out, but about the scanning. <laughs> but uh, yeah, these are just beautiful. His his work is very. Um, uh, I, how we say in English in Spanish it's llamativo it's like it really takes your eye when you see it and it makes you scan through the photos with the use of the color and it's just colorchrome it looks so good it does and I was actually um, uh, surprised uh, with this photo because it looks like it's uh, it's been taken at night there's a decent amount of light uh, these people are at a I don't know it looks like uh, some kind of card thingy casino i yeah. think they're a casino yeah it looks it but the background looks like an open air thing so it's like a fair of some sort where they have this like kind of blackjack thingy or, or i don't know what it is but it's like a game card game thing and there's a decent amount of light key light hitting them in the face but you can see the background is pretty dark yeah uh, so it's an impressive shot i wonder if it was pushed uh, or not but it's really 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 good um, here's another one really cool compositions with the lions and the architecture and the street it, it really reminds me of a lot of the work that I see now in Instagram by right? some film photographers and uh, others not, yeah, yeah. not necessarily just film no no of course but it's this is yeah this is a uh, how seven up in red? I always associate seven up with green. Right? Oh, that's <laughs> a very good point. 
Was it red? Maybe in the 60s, I don't know. No, but maybe the thing, the box where it holds the 7-Up is red maybe. on a green thing. Uh, yeah, maybe. Well, <laughs> let, let, let's Google this. 7-Up. Yeah, it's the up is in red. Ah, Breathe. interesting. Yeah. Um, again, if you if you're if you're listening to this podcast, uh, there are links in the description. Mm -hmm. uh, you can check out the photos as we're looking at them. Uh, but we always recommend joining us live here on YouTube and be in the conversation with the other people in there. Yes. Uh, again, another street photo. These are very uh, common. Um, I think he was in New York, right? Uh, yes. Yeah. Until this day, you still see these kind of photos uh, being taken. Uh, let's do this. This one I really like. Mm -hmm. I love Wha this kind of photos. Yeah. Um, there's a woman inside of a uh, bargain shop. Mm. And she's looking out the window with the curtains. And there's a man passing by. They're on different sides of, uh, sides of the frame really cool also you see utilized a lot uh, in the recent years this kind of composition mm -hmm. um, and here you see the compression of all the signs this probably was taken with a long lens to get them seemingly on the mm -hmm. same uh, on the same plane it's a uh, this kind of work really makes me think about how important it is to place the particular photographers on their time mm -hmm. you know because it, it, as it said in the bio, this is like very unusual for the time. So yeah. getting this kind of photography from these sceneries and this time, uh, it's really unique. Uh, we've seen similar shots, I think even by Bresson, mm -hmm. uh, to this one that we're looking at, and very nice use of the uh, uh, vanishing point mm -hmm. um, and the objects in the foreground. Uh, the timing is really nice. Um, but it's so, as you say, it's it's or as they were describing in mm -hmm. the paragraph, it's really strange to see it in color because you know that this is not a recent photo. Yeah. Like you see these signs. This is looks like a traffic sign of some sort. We don't see these anymore. And men with hats. And men with like <laughs> long coats and uh, top hats walking around. It's just so beautiful to look at. Yeah, I really really enjoy looking at the gallery. Uh, this is also very reminiscent of a lot of work today. Mm -hmm. Here's a uh, Vivian Mayer style <laughs> <laughs> self-portrait um, on a reflection on the store. Again, really, really nice uh, work with the composition. I personally love these photos. There's another one coming like this one where you use the body figures mm -hmm. as compositional elements. Yeah. Um, and you'll see a bunch of the, his photos as well. They have this uh, kind of... Uh, B baroque elements of uh, composition mm -hmm. uh, where the bodies the figures yes are used as as shapes rather than and the subject separation also is very good uh, yeah mm. uh, nice landscape let's skip ahead to the one I was talking about here's one again really cool uh, mix of compression and street photography kind of you can see like the mountains and the bicycle it's just a beautiful oh this is so cool poster yeah. type of uh, image someone is commenting on the chat uh, would you consider fred herzog's images without humans lifeless street photography uh lifeless street photography 
uh, I'm not sure. Um, Architectural? Uh, I don't know. Hold on. Let's take a look. I mean, this is a good example, I guess. I don't know about the delay in the stream, but I think this is a good example. This is a... Yeah, so it's such a beautiful... I mean, I don't know. The term lifeless kind of, uh, to me at least, it feels like it it carries a negative connotation to it. Mm. And... Um, Maybe still, li still life, street photography. Yeah. More than lifeless. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, they're beautiful street photos, uh, and uh, for me, they're uh, about more about making a nice uh, painting yeah. sort of thing, mm -hmm. like an image to look at. It's a lot of it's a lot of work to do with how where you place uh, your objects in the, the, uh, mm. in, the mm. in the frame, mm -hmm. and what kind of shapes you draw with them. How do you play? So. Um, you can look at a abstract painting mm -hmm. and doesn't have to have any life of it to to make it beautiful. Yeah. But you wouldn't necessarily call it lifeless. Yes, yes. No, I, I agree with you. You know what I mean? That lifeless is like, it does, to me, lifeless, it would be something that doesn't make me feel anything. Yeah. Right? In a sense. So I would, if anything, maybe call it still life, strict photography or, I don't know, I think he does a wonderful uh, job on um, how to say, like, representing what is around, but in a beautiful way. I agree. I, I These are definitely very, very beautiful. Uh, here we have the two kids. They seem like they're bargaining outside, <laughs> outside a grocery store. Mm -hmm. Who's going to get the favorite candy? Uh, you'll like Buckingham. They're so good tasting. Cigarette ad. You'll never see this one today. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it's really beautiful. And, uh, and that's it. It's good. Here, another one. Using the... Oh, this is so beautiful. Using the lines, vanishing point, and the figures all to draw your eyes somewhere. Yeah. Um, it's very well balanced mm -hmm. in a way. Uh, you have this like really big figure in the big in the in the fore foreground of the frame, mm -hmm. almost cropped, basically cropped the top of the head and the knees, and then slowly, the people getting smaller and smaller as they drop into the vanishing point. And I think here, like this, this is a great example of um, when they tell you like you have to know the rules to break them, mm -hmm. so it works because they always tell you never cut anybody's head, never cuts anyone by the knees, mm -hmm. you know those kind of things like uh, that doesn't work. But it does work if you know what the whole image is going to be about. And in this case, you can see it. I'm not bothered by him being cut in that way because it's kind of part of, of the composition itself. Yeah. And it's it tells a story. Like you see this guy, he has bandages on his uh, chin. His wrist is also bandaged up. <laughs> he's smoking a cigarette. Looks like he's hailing a cab. He has his arm high in the air. Behind him, there's a, an older woman with her gloves in her hand and a cane on her elbow. <laughs> she's, she's looking at him, checking him out. But then in the background, life is going on, like people are walking and it's just a, it's just a moment in life. Yeah. But beautifully framed. Definitely. Uh, I don't know. I think it makes a great photo. 
I like this one. Oh, with the pink umbrella. <laughs> Very nice. And the man is looking back. It it makes me wonder what's what's going on in the head of the of the man looking back at the camera. And uh, you know what I like about the photo as well? Which these are just details that sometimes I think about. They are holding arms in the opposite way, which was normally the normal one. Yeah. Because the woman would always hung on to the men yeah. when they were walking. And then I see this one and this particular just little detail of it makes me think and feel about the photo, you know? Yeah. There is so many other things happening. You can see on the top right corner of the image there's um some kind of a sign. Yeah with a similar what, what it looks yeah. like a woman with her daughter because they both have like kind of uh bowing dresses mm -hmm. and uh it's a uh, it's it's interesting these two elements in the same shot but uh the coincidence also of the man holding i don't know who's holding the umbrella she could be holding it for both of them a pink umbrella and the pink sign over there yeah no it's it's very nice right so simple yet so full of things and so beautiful there's um, a there's a self-portrait of him yeah, sitting on his desk one. again uh, as soon as eva saw this one for the first time she was like this can be yesterday <laughs> <laughs> it can be today this photo was taken it's 1961 it's, it is uh, timeless right another really beautiful uh frame this one also looks kind of bresson-ish yeah, the use of uh, shadows and... And the, the use of masses, I like to call it. Yeah. I don't know. I just really... I'm sorry if I'm going too long here. Uh, but these photos... They deserve time. It's They're very nice. They're very, very beautiful. Here again, people just walking randomly in the street. And as you mentioned earlier, the, the subject separation, you can th see these three figures in the background kind of like how they contrast with one another this one i think you really liked women looking at the yeah, museum yeah that, that was one of my favorites also because of the use of color and it's so uh what are your thoughts my thoughts are they're great they're amazing i love these photos i mean yes we i think we went on and on about it <laughs> describing how beautiful they are so many beautiful compositions that inspire, in my opinion... A lot of the uh, things we see today, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So the next photographer for today is John Nahr. And I found his website. And now I'm scrolling through all the pictures they have here. Which is a lot. Put <laughs> um, together. Yeah. It's a... Uh, it's a it's a confusing mix when you first look at it, uh, but they did split it into different sections: uh, fine art, graffiti, design, architecture, and people. Mm -hmm. um, I didn't know about uh, John, as I mentioned earlier. Yeah, no, me neither. I didn't know about. So, what are your thoughts? Mm, well, at at the first. Uh, glance and look when I got the website mm -hmm. I felt like it was a little bit chaotic not only because of the mix of 
subjects, but also perhaps because of the looks of the photographs. Mm -hmm. Like I feel like there was not so a cohesive um, presentation of the work, mm -hmm. let's just say. Because of course, like in a photographer's lifetime, there are going to be so many shots. But when you or whoever is making the website and presenting the work out, there is some sort of curation through it. So that can really affect the, the impact or the experience of looking at photographer's work. Mm -hmm. So for me, I felt like it's a bit chaotic. And um, I would was attracted by some of the photos, but not like the whole body of work as a whole. Yeah. I think there's a there's a big disconnect when you look at all these photos, even though they did uh, split them, like these two that I just put on the screen, they're really really nice, uh, beautiful looking photos. Especially mm -hmm. my favorite is this, is this one. Uh, this one is cool too. Uh, but when you look at the whole thing together, it's a bit hard to get your eye anywhere. I think, and this is this can be uh, good to consider when you um, when you do your uh, portfolio is how to um, how to present your work yeah um, John has passed away uh, a few years ago if mm -hmm. I remember correctly I was reading 2017 or something yeah. like that yeah um, so we don't know how much input he had on uh, on this representation of his work there are like uh, cool shots, but as uh, as we said, they're scattered. They're quite tricky to kind of to kind of uh, coin a style. Yeah, exactly. That can say, "Oh, this is a John Nar photo." Uh, for me, for me, it just seems like he was a a person who liked to take photos. Uh, had a really good eye for composition. Mm -hmm. But also took a lot of photos of different things that he was interested in taking photos of. Uh, like graffiti, for example. So here, this one is, you can feel that there's a theme happening. Uh, he took photos of graffitis on walls. Um, some of them with people in them. Uh, I think they're playing, what's that game called? Uh, I forget the name of the game. Uh, squash? Should yeah. like to squash? Yep, you can see the lines on the wall. and uh, So for me, this is a really cool photo. These two people playing squash on this graffiti wall. Um, and uh, we can also look here. If we go to people, uh, of course, the first picture is Andy Warhol. Mm -hmm. Yeah, he was kind of known for photographing him. Yeah, they were friends. Mm -hmm. and uh, I don't know all the people in these photos but I'm assuming a lot of them might be known people mm -hmm. um, so here's the thing I don't know I, I wonder uh, let me ask you this question do you think he will be as known if he hadn't uh, take photos of famous people or was good friends with Andy Warhol <laughs> This is <laughs> this is a tricky question. <laughs> Sorry this for putting you on yeah, the spot like that. It's, uh, <laughs> we, we've been talking about this also with some other photographers that are known for photographing celebrities and famous people and how much it is the subject you're photographing and how much it is the photograph itself and the art you're making. Um, I don't know. Um, I mean, 
as I said, that to me, I don't see a streaking style. I don't see a body of work that that uh, other I, I get from other photographers. Because even if you're saying, yeah, they are different subjects and they might be, but we just look at the photographer that even though in the gallery that we were looking at, there were things about mm, stores, there were things with people, they all kind of spoke the same language in a sense. Yeah. But then here I feel a little bit like, yeah, I mean, I'm not saying that the photographs are bad per se, like the composition of some photos of these photos are amazing and you would also look at them and say like, wow. Uh, but as a whole, as a photographer's body of work, to me it's not as good or as um, enjoyable as some other photographers that I, I, I like. I, I agree. Uh, people in the chat, let us know what you think. On uh, We would like also to hear your thoughts. And here's the other thing that I would like to say. We're always looking at um, cura curated work. Yeah. So we have no idea. Like uh, we can, I mean, maybe whoever curated this mm -hmm. gallery of Herzog had, because here it says selected work, mm -hmm. right? So whoever selected these might have selected them in a way to m make it look better mm -hmm. all put together. Mm -hmm. Maybe if we look at all the photos that uh, Herzog took, we will maybe have a different, different opinion. Yeah, but that's why I said that the presentation and the curation of the galleries has a huge impact in how someone enjoys the work. Exactly. Like, and to me, that's, that's uh, when someone asks me, like, okay, what do you think about the work of this person or the work of this person? Mm -hmm. This is an aspect that I need to have in account. What it is that I'm seeing, of course, uh, and actually, ha uh, how you know here in the co in the you know is he's commenting. Uh, he was mostly known by his graffiti photography, mostly of his photo book center around graffiti. His mm. most famous book uh, being the Faith of Graffiti. Mm. So I understand, like, if you if that is like what w we will experience and get from him, mm -hmm. then I would maybe I would tell you, well, he's the best graffiti photographer I've seen, mm. or in that collection that speaks to me in a sense but what i've gotten so far is not something that i would say oh wow you know uh so here's the thing uh, he d documented a life uh well let's say called phenomena that is like people doing graffiti mm -hmm. and he put it in a book so once you do that maybe there's a story maybe there's mm -hmm. more maybe there's word added because we also know he was an author yeah yeah so maybe uh, yeah so that put together if we take a look on the book itself we might change our whole perspective mm -hmm. what i'm saying here is that this um gallery at least is not necessarily helping present the work in the best way possible especially mm -hmm. when you visit it and you see this all um yeah. listing and all of them mixed together yeah but there's definitely really, really beautiful frames. They're just hard to find when they're cluttered like that. I mean, this is one of the coolest maybe photos I've seen of Andy. <laughs> <laughs> Someone said that I kind of like the mess. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, and uh, that's just our... Uh, that's a very nice photo. Yeah, I'm saying, that. that's what I'm saying. There are nice photos here. Uh, some of them are really cool. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, but... Uh, again, the way they're represented together, it just feels like uh, a bad idea to put them cluttered like that. Uh, I do really like 
the architecture i think the architecture segment is my favorite rather than the graffiti one i mean look at this one this one is really nice mm -hmm. um so but it was nevertheless nice to get to know a new photographer of course and i think we we might have to uh, educate ourselves further on the work of john and yeah. uh, to uh, you know maybe we'll learn something new mm -hmm. and maybe if i find a better gallery i will show you on a future episode yes um talking about education what about education oh uh, maybe we can move to our next topic which has to do a little bit about that as well right the survey that we did online yeah, I almost forgot about that. Yeah, Thank that's you for reminding me. supposed to be. It's a, it's a big part. So I'm going to share the results now on Instagram. Or maybe I'll share it after the yes, other uh, podcast. So we posted on Instagram asking you guys, um, what do you spend more time on? Looking at gear or studying photographic art and techniques, styles, and so on. Uh, the results as of this moment are split 57%, 43%. 57% <laughs> technique and 43% voted gear. Mm -hmm. What did you vote? Um, as my own self right now? Yeah. Well, for the past few months, I would say maybe more uh, techniques and stuff. Uh, before then, I think gear was a big one. Especially yeah. maybe, let's say, eight months. Eight months to two months ago, we got a lot of things, so I was looking at a lot of cameras and yeah i i think I think uh I would say for the longest time it was more technique styles looking at the uh, the work of other photographers mm -hmm. well, I just bumped your camera still <laughs> off. okay, so looking at the work of other photographers studying composition and doing all that kind of stuff mm -hmm. but recently, since yeah. we started this YouTube channel and podcast and all that kind of thing. Uh, trying to improve uh, our methodology and how to like scan, archive, do all that kind of thing. Uh, I've been more engaged in gear talk. Mm -hmm. And uh, this question, actually, this topic was brought to us by a good friend, Tim. Uh, I'm going to butcher his last name, Fairhayen. <laughs> uh, I guess he's, in the, he's listening, I yeah. think. <laughs> so give me a thumbs up if I got your last name right. Um, he's... Uh, he suggested this topic and um, he's also uh, the owner of the server that we are active on on discord when it comes to film photography mm -hmm. uh, i think we left it in the yeah description. it will be on the description i will ha put it in the description this time as well come and join us if you want to talk film photography on discord um, and he mentioned that since he's been active in this chat community for a while yeah he's noticed that a lot of talk uh, is about gear centered about gear yeah right mm -hmm. uh but when we took the when we took the voting more people voted technique yeah i think he's surprised by that i think we're all surprised by that yeah um and it, it could be it could be that well maybe people do engage in conversations about gear mm-hmm but they spend their personal time studying style. Or I have another theory. All right. Hypothesis. Okay. What if people remember their time that they spend 
learning, looking at other photographers and learning about technique more than the time they spend talking about gear. Uh, that's also a possibility. Because it's all about perception, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, I think I think the information that you get from looking at styles, techniques, uh, inspiration sticks with you more than mm-hmm. when you do, you know, discussing which is the best lens you get. Because once you get the lens, you don't remember really the process uh, of how you got that lens. Like you remember every, you don't remember every conversation every, or yeah. every recommendation. Mm-hmm. You almost forget that. Oh, I almost got that lens instead of this lens. You just remember that a few years ago you got this yeah. lens and you're happy with it. Um, but uh, I think it will be interesting as well if. But like I do agree 100% with Tim on the fact that when it comes to talk, mm-hmm. it's almost 100% about gear. Yes, yes. There is some talk about styles, about composition, about inspiration. Um, but not as much as gear. Gear is the number one. Al- although we are also uh, active in another uh, server, mm-hmm. um, and I think that one is uh, that one is not dedicated to film, uh, uh, but it's more um, geared toward uh, beginners, younger people who are getting into. So if you're uh, also a young uh, a young person who's getting into photography, even digital photography. We will leave that in the link below. Uh, you might uh, you might find yourself more there. There is a small, very small channel there for analog. It's not super active. Um, but um, in that one, I feel like there's a lot of uh, talk about composition. There's a lot of talk about editing and all that yeah, kind of stuff. Yeah, there is a channel for feedback in particular, yeah. which is people... Either per they they share a photo, it's like, oh, give me feedback on this. How would you do it better? What do you think about this? Which is very constructive and it's very good to learn. Uh, also, there is a channel for sharing the photos and then people can, on purpose, give you feedback on those photos if they want. So I feel like there, there is much more engagement when it comes to talking about also inspirations. Why did you take the photo the way you took it? How can I make it better? Yeah. Um, so that's that's inspiring. It's not very nice. Uh, yeah, but I, you know, I think, I mean, I think also, and I noticed that it's more in the younger mm-hmm. uh, groups because mm-hmm. younger photographers that like in that in that group, it's a lot of beginners. Yeah, a lot of people are joining. They're there. They don't even have a dedicated camera. They're using their phones, which is nothing wrong with that. It's a camera like any other camera. Mm-hmm. But I think their, let's say, egos. <laughs> are kind of more in check because they're coming in knowing that you know i don't know anything please help me yeah and uh, as an experience oh you're happy to help you're happy to flex your compositional knowledge muscles and all that kind of <laughs> stuff and they're like oh, i can teach you this and i can teach you that and the rule of I third is flying isn't? everywhere yeah true. you know but it's uh i think if uh, in order for us to engage in these kind of conversations, we need to ca- um, put some barriers down and put ourselves out there and take um, criticism uh, better, and also as crit- as critiques. Learn to give criticism, right? Yeah, yeah. we need to know how to um, engage with others who are putting their work out there, opening themselves up for criticism. 
but not necessarily to be hurt or to be yeah, bullied or all that kind of th- things. I I think it's a fine line and it's a skill also how to give feedback or how to talk about someone else's work in a way that is constructive and not destructive. <laughs> I agree. I think I think the internet is kind of maybe doing that. The fact that you're just commenting with a alias mm. and you yeah, can no, just no, no, say no, the worst thing. Mm. That maybe if you're in a gallery, mm-hmm. if we if, let's say we go into a gallery and we see a terrible photo, sorry, we will not um, scream it or announce our snapshot. You know, <laughs> <laughs> no, we will not do that. Maybe I will whisper, or we will whisper to each other. Which is not necessarily nice, yeah. but at least we're keeping it to ourselves. You know, we yeah, will yeah. Resp- whisper some mean comments to each other or, <laughs> you know, t- n- distasteful jokes. But it will be our private thing and that's okay. Th- it's okay to uh, to joke. It's okay to have, uh, you know, f- like fun with mean-spirited. Well, I mean, not <laughs> mean-spirited, but like kind of mean comments that are not necessarily... You don't want to hurt someone or, mm-hmm. you know, you don't want them to hurt you. That's why you're whispering it in the first place. But on the internet, that whisper becomes a... Mm, Megaphone. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a... Uh, I, I think maybe maybe that's a reason why people engage less in in inspiration talk, in technique talk or in feedback talk rather than gear right it could be uh, yeah i mean if you show up to a forum and you're like check out my new 0.9 aperture lens everybody's gonna be like whoa <laughs> <laughs> you know and then if there's somebody's like yeah but they're soft and they're hard to focus and then it's easy to ignore that person even though deep down you know it's right but <laughs> <laughs> it's easy to ignore that person yeah, and be yeah. like look at all these people they love my new lens but still, the curious thing here is that even though we experience that people do talk more about gear and there is a lot of gear talk, when you make a short survey like this, seems like it's either 50-50 or even more people. It's more, think. 57 to 43. Yeah, so, um, so maybe people do spend time on their free time, or maybe not engaging with others in this kind of talk, but on their time. Uh, learning and yeah no we are we believe we're not accusing anybody of voting wrong Uh, we believe that you voted for what you're doing and that's the first thing i said is that maybe they spend more time looking at stuff and studying stuff learning yeah Mm -hmm. then they talk to other people about photography so like you spend more time studying photography uh let's say a lot of you spend a lot of alone time Mm-hmm. studying photography whether being looking at gear or studying different styles and mm-hmm. techniques and all that kind of good stuff mm-hmm. and then some other time or some other chunk of your time that is dedicated to photography is discussing it with other people mm-hmm. right and that chunk combined with the personal time together is or is smaller than so, the time you mm-hmm. personally spend on just studying styles and I think uh, w- maybe it's a good idea to help engage mm-hmm. and uh, and put yourself out there, put your photos out there, ask for criticism. Instagram is a bad way to yeah. discuss. Flickr, I think, I mean, I don't know who's using Flickr anymore. Just I to know. be good, but... It, it is. Like, now when I go and I look at other stuff, there is, like, really nice discussions happening in the comments the forums used to be very active in Flickr. yeah 
I don't know what's the. I mean, again, this is why we're doing this. Yeah. We want to, and so far, I don't know. I think today is maybe the first day we talk about gear. Have we mentioned gear before? Not really. Not per se. Well, I mean, we've mentioned about cameras and we talked about the difference between analog and digital and things like that, but not per se gear. Like, what? which camera is better than the other one? Yeah. But I think we made a, like made it our mission to look at other photographers' work and try to discuss and at least start a conversation uh, on the techniques and styles of of well-known and established mm. photographers. So that's one way of doing it. We hope we can invite everybody to come and yeah. check it out, whether it being you agree with our opinion, disagree with our opinion. But it is. We would love to hear your thoughts as mm -hmm. long as they're nice and polite. Um, <laughs> uh, here someone actually, Bronzo, mentioned something that is actually right that sometimes techniques comes in hand in hand with a special gear so talking about some special gear will le lead you to the technique learning a new technique using a new technique which is of course true you know absolutely so like if you look at some of the uh, photos we looked at today like fred fred's Herzog, uh, fred's work um you see that compression he mm -hmm. did with uh, with a lot of architectural stuff well how did he do that well now you step into gear thinking of telephoto lenses and mm -hmm. small apertures and all that stuff. Uh, but, yeah, it's... it's uh, at least when you're an analog photographer, you kind of are limited of with your gear talk. What? <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's like it's not a never-ending fountain because they don't make them anymore. Yeah, but, you know, like, this is what I, I... I didn't get into this part of, you know, gear when it comes, like... Uh, analog photography or not, but all digital cameras do exactly the same thing. And then when you talk about analog cameras, you have all these different ways of shooting, different uh, negative formats, these d different processes. There is so much more variability that it l leads, I think, I think analog has a much more potential for gear acquisition syndrome than digital, to me, That's at true. least. I agree. I, I yeah. I uh, take back what I said. <laughs> I don't uh, know. I'm crazy about it. That's why, I mean, you you know, my shelf and when we met, like, my shelf, I, I, there is something about getting a new camera and learning to shoot with it in a different way. Is it aperture priority? Is it uh, shutter priority? Is it fully manual? Is it a single uh, reflex lens? Is it a twin reflex lens? Is it a medium format? Is it a 35 millimeter? You have all these, like, different experiences when it comes to using gear itself yeah. away she, from photography she forgot to add to that criteria is it a cute point and shoot <laughs> yes <laughs> yeah. is it the, the smallest camera i can get in my hand or not <laughs> yeah, so i think uh, there is so much to talk in i i feel i feel the gear talk in analog is much richer than in digital yeah i mean let's not get into that yeah. argument we can talk in another time yeah. but um but yeah, what we can say is that, uh, oh, you want to bring something up? Yeah, there was someone that uh, left a comment saying, technique, technique and composition is also way more personal than gear. The look and feel of a picture is pretty subjective, and that might be a reason why it's less discussed. Exactly, that was my point about criticism, mm -hmm. is that you're going to get all kinds of wild criticism when you post your work and try to discuss it, but so much more people can easily agree on a piece of gear yeah. because basically it was designed 
for the needs that already exist. Yeah, particular thing. Yeah, but um, I think uh, I think we can all at least try to agree uh, on the works of the pre-established photographers. I mean, today we didn't uh, kind <laughs> of, uh, but uh, it's 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 and then I think just talking about it, just looking at it together, helps and brings it back to the to the conversation and uh, gear as. Um, one, uh, I don't know. I can I know, get the name of whoever commented that? Oh, uh, yeah, that was Andrew. Uh, so, as Andrew uh, mentioned, gear can be a gateway to discuss techniques and styles mm-hmm. and all that kind of good stuff. So, uh, yeah, maybe they this is just a reminder for everybody mm-hmm. and to me personally, it as well is that if you're spending a lot of time looking at gear, maybe take a step back and remember what it was all about in the first place yes that's nice (laughs) all right and i think we're gonna um, sign off soon before we do uh, let's take a look at some uh, bits of news yes Uh, so uh, you probably already know about this but it's worth mentioning that ilford uh, announced a new portfolio paper uh, uh, photographic printing paper basically yeah and uh, if I want to take that one yeah so Ilford has released a new uh, paper but it's not like a paper paper it's a portfolio paper and I didn't really know so much about you know the differences why it's not really a paper paper but it's basically because the base of the paper is not fiber it's not really paper it's uh, plastic and it's uh, the base is between two um, two layers so it never really gets the chemical so it's a much mm, faster way to make prints that's why it's called portfolio paper so you can make prints quickly quickly and they dry quickly and the downside is that they don't last that long so the life lifetime of these uh, prints is like 40 to 50 years i think i read compared to 200 plus years that real prints in paper might have so this is basically for people that want to do like contact sheets and uh, print some photos that they can have in a portfolio that they can take off to potential you know clients or something like that Mm -hmm. Um, and the thing with this new paper of Ilford as far as I read is that it gives it's a better contrast and tonality and contrast all through the, the tonal range, mm-hmm. uh, which is a characteristic of uh, paper-based papers. So I guess what they are trying to get is uh, the best portfolio um, paper, the best, um, I think it's called PC, isn't it? RC. RC, RC paper that can be, so you can get really good prints that represent your work properly. So I guess you want your portfolio paper to give you something that would look very similar to what you can print in archival paper, mm-hmm. right? So I think that's what Ilford is going after. And it's uh, anything that is new material into the analog world, I'm very happy about. Yeah. I mean, it sounds uh, it sounds really good if it's easier um, and g- will give you eventually better results. Uh, I mean, m- maybe it's more fit to be used for general work not just for you know like uh, i mean you're saying uh, how many years did you say the i think i read about 40 years yeah i mean that's plenty you know Maybe i mean yeah so for most people this is this kind of paper i think is gonna be more interesting and usable and it's always cheaper also yeah so uh we don't have so much experience with this uh but 
maybe we will learn together and we wanted to tell you about it uh, shoot film like a boss uh, youtube channel mm -hmm. did a video on this and mm -hmm. uh, i mean he's my kind of uh, place to look into and i want to look at uh, youtube uh, videos about printing and stuff mm -hmm. like that and he's a fan of it so that's uh, good for me <laughs> uh, another thing that i want to draw attention to speaking of today's uh, discussion about style versus technique ilford's website they have a magazine and it's a really good resource to uh, refresh your um, knowledge and inspiration and eyes and <laughs> eyes yeah uh, they do post regularly and they feature a lot of uh, interesting photographs by people and the story behind it so you can also uh, have a look into that and see all the nice featured works on ilford website it's also in the description it's ilford.com slash category slash magazine uh so yeah go there uh subscribe somehow if you can or not just bookmark it and you know take a look every now and then get mm -hmm. inspired to shoot black and white um the last thing we want to talk about is that uh, silver grain classics is doing their third fireside chat episode three i just said third, third it's tomorrow it's tomorrow yeah around the same time as now yeah 7 p.m uh, central european time yeah so um, that will make it six as universal time yes <laughs> <laughs> and so um yeah tune in if you're interested uh, i mean we missed the first two we're probably gonna miss the one tomorrow live but we're watching them stream later yes. they're really really nice to watch and uh uh, again, they're bringing a lot of nice technical talk and a lot of uh, inspiring working yeah. photographers mm -hmm. that uh, share their experience about their own work. We would also love to do something similar in the future as the mm -hmm. channel grows and as the show grows. We would love to have uh, guests, guests to, to talk about their craft. And we published our first invite today about drum scanning. If you're a drum scanner, come Tell and talk us. to us. Um, <laughs> Anything else we have for today or should we start saying bye-bye? I think uh, that will cover everything that we prepared for the episode, right? Uh, if there's... Sorry. <laughs> Techn technical error. Uh, yeah, someone commented here. Analog gear also appeals to nostalgia and romanticizing the past, which is true. Yeah. I we mean, it's all good. There, There is nothing wrong talking about gear. We're not no, saying no. it's wrong. It was just a cool observation, interesting observation that, yeah, it is true. A lot of more. And, uh, you know, one of my favorite playlists on YouTube uh, is done by um, the Art of Photography channel. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, it's all about composition. Mm -hmm. It's nine years old and it's one of my favorite playlists on YouTube. Um, but there's a reason why uh, Ted, I think his name is, hasn't been doing s same videos as before i mean th i think and i'm not faulting him for that he's trying to grow his channel he's trying to do videos that appeal to the audience and there's nothing wrong with that but there's a something telling that the, the the most of the videos that get more views are about gear yeah maybe our audience is more geared about style and the art of photography itself but we also have a small uh, audience in comparison to Ted. 
and uh, you know maybe in the future i will be also like you know you and i will be looking at the newest digital camera if we if we decide to survive somehow on youtube uh, <laughs> but we hope it doesn't come to that point and uh, there again because that's not necessarily what we have fun doing yeah we do enjoy digital cameras we did tell you today about a cool digital camera to use as a film scanner <laughs> but um yeah i think the majority of people want to talk about that want to see reviews about that and um, hopefully there will be a nice balance in the future yes but uh, other than that uh, we would like to once again thank you so much for tuning in with us live yes thank you so much for being with us for this uh, minute someone said longer episode today yes we had a lot to cover yep um, i mean um, we dis- we try to keep it short but at the same time we feel like it's flowing and yeah. we got super captivated by the uh that's the, the word that I couldn't come up with, the captivating. Captivating, yes. yeah. <laughs> we, we, got, like, we got lost in the uh, in, uh, work of uh, Herzog. It's beautiful. If you guys have time, spend a good hour just looking through the photographs. It's yeah. really nice. You know, we had something else planned for today that I completely forgot about and we're out of time. What is it? It was the photo. We were going to do like a big section on a single photo. So here's a tease. We're going to do it next episode. Next episode. So tune in next episode to see that super cool photo that we're supposed to be the ah, topic yeah, of yeah, today's yeah, yeah. Uh, episode. Other than that, we'd like to thank you again. And if you're listening to this later, maybe come hang out with us in the live. We yes. would love that. And to hear your comments live and participate in the conversation. Every Friday at 6 p.m. Central European time, 5 p.m. Universal time in our YouTube channel. Yes. Yes. Uh, take care, everybody. Bye. Bye.